And I brought something with me this morning. And it's a cable with a combination lock on it. And by the end of this, I'm hoping we're going to be able to unlock this situation. So, Jesus, Jesus and his disciples, they're carrying on along the way to Jerusalem. And all that the events that we're covering from Mark now until when he gets to Jerusalem are in his gospel. And they're likely to have happened on this trip. Now, chapter 10 that I'm speaking to today. A couple of weeks back, Tom brought us a word at QE from verses 1 to 12. And that was on the matter of marriage and divorce. And today, I think there's a very logical sequence in Mark's gospel. So we started off in chapter 10 with marriage. Today, children. Um, then a young man, and then the grown-ups. Um, and in time, traditional way, I've got three points, which is quite handy because this is a three combination lock. Um, the three C's, we've got these three C's are on children, are on cash, and are on the center. So if you've got your Bibles handy, I'm going to be reading Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to do it in three little sections. First one is from verse 13 to verse 16. I'm using the NLT, so your translations might look a little bit different, but read something like this. So Mark, 13, Mark 10 verse 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents and bothered him. Sorry, scolded the parents for bothering him. Now, when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the, decide, then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. And Father God, I just thank you for your word. I just pray now, Lord, that your word would speak to our friends here today, Lord, and those that are listening, and Lord, that you would really impact us on what it is you want us to say and hear this morning, Lord. Amen. So, our first point, our first letter C on children. Ah, oh dear. Um, if the subject of children was in the Euro Eurovision Song Contest, the disciples, the disciples would get a nil point, wouldn't they, for this one. Jesus had already told them in 
uh, Mark 9, wasn't it? Um, how important he thought that children were, and yet they've still not grasped it. If it was their school report, which a number of children are getting about this time of year, the headline would be, could and should have done better. They're acting more like bouncer clubs, nightclub like bouncers. Jesus, he gets angry. We read in the song earlier that he's slow to anger, but he got angry. The Greek word here is agon acton. And this means he wasn't just a little bit cross. He was really angry. Remember um, that in those days, children were regarded as property and not as individuals. And the disciples have got it totally wrong about the worth of a child in the nature of the kingdom. No, it's not a condition for children to become an adult before joining the kingdom. Jesus has turned it on its head, saying an adult must be converted back to become like a child. The kingdom... It's not a matter of achievement or merit. We must receive the kingdom as a gift. And this is where the children have an advantage over us adults. When Jill and I hear our little grandchildren say, Nana, have you got a present for me? It's so much easier for children to ask than what it is for us adults. I'm not saying they have to be all innocent and humble. I'm sure if my mum was alive, she wouldn't be able to say that about me when I was a youngster. But what Jesus is looking for, folk that are receptive and willing to rely on him. And that's why he wanted to bless the children. So let's sum up this first point by saying, to crack the combination, we need to have a childlike faith. I hope we've all got that one. Um, let's go back into the Bible, and I'll read now from verse 17 through to 27. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit life, Inter inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honour your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing 
you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. astounded. Who then in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Thank you, Lord, that, Lord, everything is possible for you, Lord. Amen. So, we're on to our second letter C, and this is on cash. And when I first read this part of the message, I felt a bit sorry for this young lad. I think if Jesus had been as direct with me as what it was with him, I'm not sure I would have made it to have become a Christian. Okay, I was supporting Jill and the children at the time, so my circumstances were quite a lot different to his. But even so, I think if Jesus ever asked me to give up my season ticket at Bournemouth, then I'm going to really struggle. As it is, I'm missing the Spurs match because of the Commission Festival. But at least my grandson, Alfie, can go with my daughter, Hannah, and cheer the boys on. But seriously, very seriously, folks, the young lad in our text thought he had done all the right things. And he made a very impressive entrance to get Jesus' attention. How? However, once I read this passage a few times, I started to see a bit of flawed thinking. And it smacked to me of, me, me, me. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It was almost as if all his money and wealth he bought, he thought he could buy his way to the kingdom. Luke 8, verse 18. Luke 18, verse 18. 18, 18. Um, he referred to him as a religious leader. Um, the entrance suggests both enthusiasm and respect, but his form of address, good teacher, very unusual and rare amongst the Jews, even to a rabbi. We know that Jesus is far more important than just being a good teacher. So he's way off the mark here. And he hasn't really grasped who he's dealing with. Hang on a minute. Aren't there ten commandments? So not all of them get a mention here, do they? I make it probably about five out of ten. And if you ask me, the five that he went to 
were the reserve team. They were, the, they were on the subs bench. They weren't the, the heavy stuff, the big hitters. But the young man, he really thinks that he's following the law, a bit like the apostle Paul did before he came to Christ. He thought he was following the law too. But he has at least grasped the fact that what he's doing on its own is not enough to guarantee he's going to get eternal life and how right he is. He clearly thinks he's fulfilling the law and he's probably expecting Jesus to ask him something to bridge the gap. Whereas what he should have said was, there's no, there's no way... The balloons are going off. There's no, <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> there's no way I've kept the law. I need a saviour. That's what he should have said. In fact, he was breaking the first and the greatest commandment for his possessions were his God. Now, because... Jesus had commanded him to sell all his possessions. It's, I think, I hope, <laughs> it's specifically named at him, this guy. And it's not for general application. But I think if God does want us to do things, then he is going to direct us. But we can see where his treasures are really wrapped up in. Even if he'd done this, Jesus didn't guarantee eternal life to him. But he did promise him a secure treasure. Secure treasure in exchange for an insecure one. Now, why did he ask him to give it all up and not just a little bit or some of it or half of it? Clearly, he thought if he doesn't get rid of all of it, He's not going to break. I likened it to an addiction. I think he had an addiction. A bit like an alcoholic. Can't just have one drink. To get rid of it, you have to go totally dry and teetotal. And I think he had the same principle. Why is it hard for the rich to enter the kingdom? Jesus says, doesn't he? a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's a hyperbole. Um, a dictionary, dictionary definition would read something like a way of speaking or writing something that makes someone or something sound bigger and better than they really are. For the millionth time, stop exaggerating. Um, there are a few more examples in the Bible. I always remember Matthew 7, verse 3 to 5. And why worry about a speck in your eye, in your friend's eye, when you've got a log in your own? Or a plank, some Bibles say. Or swallowing a camel, Matthew 23, verse 24. You strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel.
in Israel, the camel was the largest animal around in those days. Unfortunately, I haven't got a camel on my shirt today. The closest I could get was a giraffe. But if it was in Persia, it would be an elephant because that's their biggest beast. Riches can present a problem because they tend to make us satisfied with life now rather than longing for the age to come, the age that we were talking about a few minutes ago. Also, this wealthy man, I reckon, I reckon he's a doer. He's done well for himself with his business deals. He's a doer. Nothing wrong with being a doer, physically or mentally. But what is important is that whatever we do, we must do it in God's strength and not in our own. As a Christian, we admit our defaults, humble ourselves, and receive. So it is impossible for any of us to be saved by our own merits. Humanly speaking, it's impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Let's also remember we have got some examples in the Bible of rich guys that have made it through God's grace. Guys like Zacchaeus, he was wealthy. He paid in cash for everything. For him, by following the promptings of the Lord, one of those camels have made it through the eye of the needle. So let's just sum up this second point by asking a question. Is there anything you have that would not be able, you'd be able to give up for Jesus? You may have gathered I didn't find this second part, point as straightforward as the first one. But unless we can proceed with this, we're not going to get the tumblers in the right place to crack the combination. So where is your treasure? And if Jesus asked you to drop things to follow him, could you do it? Okay. Let's go back to the Bible and the third and final section from 28 through to 31. Then Peter, good old Peter, then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest again. So, on to our third C, 
uh, on the center. And center does begin with a C. And this sounds pretty typical of Peter until he received the Holy Spirit. There he was comparing himself and a young spiritual lad. And he still hasn't really grasped it, even at this stage. And the disciples haven't either. They've got the right answer by giving up everything to follow Jesus. But they haven't sorted out the question yet. Okay. They've given up. The disciples have given up much to follow Jesus. But he is now giving them that assurance that they will be suitably rewarded. There will, of course, be honor for all, all who have sacrificed for Jesus' sake. Whatever we give up for him will be returned many times over in addition to eternal life. And then at this point, Jesus slips the word persecution in. And I tried to avoid it, but I really think I've got to mention, put a mention in here about persecution. Over church history, there's been, it's been a very prominent feature, hasn't it? Some of the disciples were even martyred for their faith. These days, worldwide, there are pockets of persecution in existence. I have to admit, over my Christian going on, here in the goings on over in the West, I haven't really felt it that much. Some of you guys may have felt it more. What I would say is that I reckon this level of persecution is on the increase and our younger folk are going to perhaps have a bit more problem with this going forward, but hey-ho. Okay, we're on the home straight now. And the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. This was the qualifying remark regarding the disciples' reward. All who sacrifice for the Lord will be rewarded but God's way and timing is probably not going to match up with ours. When God rewards, expect the unexpected. Now, I found a quote from Spurgeon, who was a famous Baptist preacher and writer. So this has been written about 150 years ago, but it's still totally relevant today. In the final account it shall be found that no man has been a loser through giving up anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he and his own method of deciding who are to be first and who are to be last. Did that make sense? Shall I read it again? In the final account, it shall be found that no man has been a loser through giving up anything, bless you, for giving up anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he has his own method, he has his own method of deciding who are first and who are last. So he's going to decide, not us. All we need to do is 
serve him selflessly. Not for religious enthusiasm, but there's nothing wrong with that. And certainly not for bright ideas to help the Jesus cause. But let's just serve him. So arriving at our final point, I think this is effectively the outworking of points one and two. And at the end of the day, Jesus is looking for a soft center, willing to serve without looking for reward. This should remind us that whatever our successful business style we have developed, or whatever it is, we need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Just as I was preparing this message, I thought about the word I brought last week on limescale. And if we're not careful, the world can easily harden our soft heart. So how are we doing? Have you got what it takes? Can I bring you worship group back, guys, that are serving us so brilliantly? Let's just remind ourselves of the right combination and let's ask ourselves, have we cracked it? Point number one, have we got that childlike faith that Jesus is looking for? Point number two, have we any cash that we would not give up for Jesus? And point number three, have we got the heart soft in the center? We need all three to crack the combination. Have we got all three? Whoops, have we got it? I think that most of us here today have already given our lives to the Lord. But if that isn't you, then with that childlike faith, you've got the opportunity here to put that right. So please come and speak to me after I finish this message and I'll set you on the road to eternal life. But for the rest of us, where's your, where's your treasure? Are you listening to Jesus and following his promptings as he speaks to you? Is your heart soft enough to keep in step with his guidance? Father God, thank you for your word, Lord. And we ask you to bring to our minds anything where we're out of step with you. We thank you that your combination of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is at work in and through us. And we ask for your help to protect our hearts and minds as we go forward from being here today. We love you, Lord. We ask for your help, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.